We're continuing on in this series on miracles, and today I'm speaking on the subject of faith. So let's pray. Father, send your Holy Spirit that through the Scriptures you would speak words of life to each of us, that you would lead us into abundant kingdom living for your purposes. Amen. All right, so I'm going to do all the techie stuff at the beginning. So this is the point to kind of put your phone to the side, ignore the Black Friday sales that aren't good for you anyway, and concentrate. And we're going to look at a few thoughts on miracles and then faith. And then I'm going to tell a story about what I think faith looks like. So miracles. Some of this will have already been covered, I'm sure, in the series so far. But miracles are those events that happen for which there's no obvious, reasonable, well, reason, I guess. And Christians, we believe that that God does miracles for his purpose and for our good. And if we were to say that being a Christian is following Jesus, and that's called to being a Christian, which would make sense, then you inevitably bump into miracles because his life was full of them. From the multiplication of wine, multiplication of food, the multiplication of pretty much anything he seemed to touch, healings, deliverances, he knew things that he could only know by other consequences apart from physics. We call that prophecy. Miracles are everywhere in the life of Jesus and in the lives of the church since. When I was first wrestling with faith, I was on this camp, uh, youth camp, and I really wasn't sure what I thought about Jesus. I was a teenager and all mixed up. But I was starting to believe that maybe he was real. And there was someone there who, who she, was, um, she just was so sad. And we became friends. And, and I would see her crying and crying and crying. And eventually she told me why she was crying. She was my age. We were maybe like 15. And, and she'd had a series of sexual experiences that left her feeling regret. Now, she'd chosen what she'd done, but she was looking for something she didn't find. And every experience left her feeling worse than she had before. And tragically, as a consequence of her choices, she'd actually got an illness. And when she'd gone to the doctor, the doctor said, it's bad news. Uh, We're going to have to take this seriously. And eventually, the doctor said, I just need to tell you, you're never going to have children. And you, you might need an operation. And this camp happened after that news. And she was just so sad. And my heart, for probably the first time, moved in a way of compassion that never had. And I just felt so sad for her. So sad. And this Jesus that I was just starting to believe in, I just started bothering about that. You know, Lord, please just do something. Just do something. Just do something. And anyway, the camp finished and we'd been praying for her. And then she called me a couple of weeks later and said, I went to the doctor. And the doctor said, I don't need an operation. Not only do I not need an operation, but it's like there's nothing ever happened to me. And I saw at that time a glimpse of a Jesus who does miracles, and I was full of faith. And it it wasn't a straightforward story from there on, but it was one of the key moments of my life that was like, maybe Jesus is is real. A couple of years uh, later, I'd been living um, as a Christian and had seen God move, but also seen the excess of what happens sometimes when people try and pray for the miraculous. And I had questions and experienced a bit more of life, and I was working on a farm. I was a terrible at the job, actually. It was a summer job from, away from university. And I worked hard, but had pretty much zero skill. And those whose job it was full-time, all the time, had zero respect for me whatsoever. 
And eventually, though, I gained a little bit of respect with them. And so right at the end of the summer, the final week, they invited me into their secret, which was in the afternoon, because it was a chicken farm with maybe like 40,000 chickens, and every afternoon we would clean barns. In the afternoon, I always noticed they seemed to be really hard at work and left me to do some job by myself. Actually, they just changed the barns really quickly, got into the nice new barn with all the hay, and had a nap. And they finally, my fast week, they let me in on this secret. They're like, come and, you know, come on, we'll just have a little nap, lie down. So I lay there, slightly freaked out, because it's like me and this old guy and this other guy my age, like having a nap, it's a bit weird. And eventually we woke up, yawned a bit, and this, this guy, um, young guy my age, just turned to me, and he said, you know what, the weirdest thing happened last night. My girlfriend took me to this church, and they started praying for people, and you know my knee, and they had this bad knee all summer. It's like they prayed for my knee, and it's completely better. Now, I'd spent the whole summer actually not managing to quite ever tell anyone that I was a Christian. It never quite come up in conversation, mainly because no one talked to me, if I'm honest. But anyway, <laughs> none of them knew I was a Christian. And he suddenly put me on the spot, and it's like, well, what do you think? What do you think about what happened last night? And I had a moment, all my doubts, all my questions, all the things I'd seen the previous few years, and then remembering what I'd seen when I was a teenager, I had a question that I had to answer. What do I believe? I'll come back to that story in a minute. I've got good news for you. Uh, I've got a bit of geeky scholar stuff here. So this is um, the biblical scholar Craig Keener. And uh, he has written an incredible book that's 1,100 pages long. And he looks at the biblical accounts of uh, healing and miracles and then looks at modern occurrences and interviews psychologists and doctors and all kinds of specialists, lawyers and the police. And he's basically trying to figure out, are, are the miracles of Jesus, do they measure up in sort of real life? Now, this book is in two volumes. I believe it's so that you can get an even workout on the biceps. I know many people that own this book, some that have held it, and I've never met anyone that's read the whole thing. And I'm here to tell you today that I have not read it either, but I have read, I have read his much shorter version, which is 300 pages, that I highly recommend. And in this book, he talks about atheists that reviewed his big book. And he also questions, I think, whether any of them actually read the book. And I think that's why he's thought, maybe I should actually write a small one that people could read. Anyway, and he notices something fantastic. He says, they all laughed at me. They all found my book ridiculous, but none of them could disagree with the evidence. So they all believed that the things that I documented happened. You know, there were like multiple witnesses, lawyers, police, doctors, psychologists. But what they found ridiculous is that I, I thought it was God. That's what they found laughable. They couldn't discount the evidence that something remarkable truly happened. But what was ridiculous is that you believed that that was God. And at the same time, as, 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 as you know, atheists are writing reviews about books saying that can't possibly be God, but maybe those occasions did happen, I've noticed in the last kind of 15 years a rising tide of interest in the supernatural. So, for example, this article, When the Mystical Goes Mainstream, How Tarot Became a Self-Care Phenomenon. Maybe you've seen this as well. There are many articles like this. It's become incredibly cool and trendy to seek spirituality in all kinds of forms. And Tara is one of the, the main kind of trends at the moment. I was on this, this street. I'm not going to name the street or, or the actual shop. But there's a shop in, in East London on a very cool street. 
right amidst cafes and bars, and this is what it offers. And if you can't read, it says, crystals, jewellery, apothecary, books, scent, homeware, tara, gifts, and art. So right amidst all the stuff that you'd get from like an Ikea, (laughs) there's a sudden claim that spirits can speak to you through a deck of cards. So in the same font that you would order a flat white or an Americano, there's a claim about the supernatural being very real and very credible. My wife's a contemporary artist, and at a big art fair freeze a couple of years ago, they had tea leave, tea leave reading live as a piece of art. There's a rising tide of interest in the supernatural, a growing moving culture to believe deeply in the supernatural work. So what about us then, the church? See, our job is to believe in God. The atheist book reviewers and those seeking alternative spiritualities, they're not necessarily believing in our God, but they, they are recognizing the, the, the proof of miracles and the reality of the supernatural. But if I was thinking from the outside, if I was one of those people looking at Christianity, I wouldn't have an issue with miracles as such. I would start way further upstream. So you believe that there's someone who is responsible for everything. So like all of it. So ostriches and Eskimos and all the other things, dandelions and dragonflies and deserts. and You think one being, out of one being's imagination came everything? The prime cause of all things? And that, that, that being somehow became a human and then died and then wasn't dead anymore. And somehow millions of people in every time and place, even the church right now worshipping in Gaza, are staking their life on that being the case. I mean, the whole thing is miraculous. The whole thing is kind of ridiculous. If I had a problem with Christianity, it wouldn't be the belief in, in healing. I'd start way upstream. The whole thing is kind of extraordinary. You see, we are the people whose job it is to believe in God. And a consequence of that is that we believe in the supernatural and and the miraculous. So there's this wonderful uh, theologian called Paula Gooder. I've stolen her slides with permission. So I just want to remind us exactly how it works that that miracles kind of come into our our lives by believing in Jesus. So this is a picture of really what's happening in the Old Testament, that there's this world flowing along, and then God intervenes every now and again comes down and speaks to people and, and causes them to act. And the hope in the Old Testament is that, that the end of this world would become the, the, the world to come, the age to come. That God would intervene definitively at the end of time to renew the world. And this world would be without pain and sickness and suffering. But here's the thing that's really extraordinary. This world will be fully physical, as physical as this world. Now, that's neat and tidy, and the next slide is kind of cosmic chaos, because this is what Christianity does to that. Now, this doesn't quite have the elegance of a Pete Hughes slide, but I I didn't make it. Anyway, so just to talk it through so it makes sense, what you've got is this world, and then that first grey arrow coming down, that's Jesus arriving, that's his life, death, and resurrection. And then the second grey arrow, that's Jesus at the end of time. And the really peculiar thing that we believe is that age to come, the other side of that grey arrow, that perfect, restored, renewed physicality is actually over the yellow box. And that's where we are. So we live in this world beneath our feet with the reality of of God's rule and reign over our heads. We live between the two. 
And that's why we believe in miracles, because Jesus rose. And the promise of the resurrection is what God did to Jesus' body, one day he will do to the whole cosmos. A consequence of the resurrection is miracles. To believe, for example, that, that God's work is only like ideas or only emotions, that completely refutes the purpose of the incarnation, that God became fully human. So that when we pray for God to move, it's going to be spiritual, it's going to be emotional, but it's always going to be physical as well. It's always going to have an external consequence because that's the age to come, breaking into the present. This is why miracles are inevitable. Which brings me back to the barn and my friend with his now healed knee. And I did actually say, and I chose in that moment, do you know what? I believe God does do that. I believe God does heal. I believe Jesus is real. And then the other guy, the older guy, he was like, well, maybe he does then. And then we wandered off and went about our day. And I don't think I've seen them since. <laughs> but then yesterday, when I was furiously writing this um, talk in a very cool cafe in East London, the waitress came over to me and said, oh, you're working hard. She said, what are you working on? I said, um, you don't want to know. <laughs> and she went off. And then I thought, oh, I really regret that. I really regret that. Because she does want to know. It is fascinating. We believe in a God who made the dandelions and the deserts and the dragonflies, the Eskimos and the elephants and all things. And is remaking all things into the pattern of his son, Jesus. It's massively interesting. You do want to know about that. And I believe it's available for all of us. And the difference, you see, is, is faith. And that brings us to the main subject we're, we're coming on, coming to talk about today, which is uh, the nature. Oh, we've had a little moment there. Of faith. In Matthew 8 and 9 that you've been looking at the last few weeks, there are a series of encounters where Jesus heals and moves in miraculous power. And faith is a constant companion. So you have the centurion that I know Kath talked about last week. He, he understands that Jesus has authority. Uh, and so he, as a man under authority, has confidence in Jesus. And so Jesus replies when he heard the, this, this testimony of the centurion. He was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Then we have the calming of the storm. And Jesus' disciples are doubting and they're afraid. And so Jesus replies, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. In the story of the paralyzed man, and some men brought to Jesus a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. The power of his friend's faith. Jesus responds to the power of his friend's faith. Jesus heals a woman. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Then Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed in that moment. And she's desperate at this point. 
And she puts aside all the shame that she would have received from the culture around her. And she does a remarkable move. She touches the hem of his robe, which at the time you would do to a rabbi, believing that you would get whatever they carried. And she, she pushes through the crowd with this, this, this condition that at the time would cause much cultural and social shame. And she does, out of desperation, what she believes will help her. And Jesus responds and calls her daughter. Jesus heals two blind men. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Now, faith clearly has a role to play in God's miraculous power. It's like magnetic for God. But does that mean that God always heals and always moves when we have faith? No. Sometimes you can have all the faith in the world and nothing will happen. And sometimes when we seemingly have no faith at all, God moves. Just think about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He hates Christians. He's trying to kill them. He's not looking for God and God appears to him. There's no faith there. It's not an exact equation, but it does seem to be a pattern that when faith is involved, God does more. So what exactly is faith? Well, it's a very religious word, and like a lot of good things, it can attract sort of dust and muck, like white trainers, and it can get a bit messy, and so we just need to clean up the word just very briefly and take it back to the basic meaning. And, And the word in the Bible is pistis, which just means simply faith or trust and I actually want to use the word trust because I think it will help us like rescue us from some of like the dirt and the muck that sometimes we we attach to the word faith because it becomes so confusing and sounds so religious but it basically means the same faith trust so let's think about trust so you've all used trust today you've all evidenced great trust by sitting down on your seats now, I know Rich Spens, who, who, who works here, he's a particular fan of these seats. He actually, what's the model? Anyone know the name of the model? He loves this model of chair. He, he really has picked this seat, and you've all made a great choice today by sitting down on this seat. You probably didn't overthink it, but actually you trusted on the evidence that you previously received that this seat has held your weight, that it will. That is faith. You've lent yourself against this chair, believing that it will take your weight, and it has. Now, Faith in Jesus means you've lent your life against him. It means that he's taken the weight of your existence. Your whole life is rested upon the claim that this is true, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. So if it turned out that Jesus wasn't true, your life would crumble. That's what it is to have faith in Jesus. The book of Hebrews describes faith quite simply like this, as being, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. It's trust. Faith is trust in something that is future and invisible, or back to that kind of cosmic chaos of a diagram there. It's basically leaning your life up against the future in such a way that it becomes present. You're saying that, Jesus, I believe that you rose and you're making all things new, and that at the end of time, that work will be completed. I'm going to lean my life up against that in such a way that I'm going to bring it into the present. That's faith. You're sitting down. You're resting your life. 
your whole weight of your existence on the future. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So is it about belief? Well, of course it is. It's what you believe. It's the conviction of your head and your heart. But if it never is evidenced externally, then you don't really believe it. Like if I say I am convinced about kind of working out and being healthy, but if I never go to the gym, I'm clearly a liar. You see, it's got to evidence externally. So faith or trust is the conviction of the head and the heart overflowing into action. The basic kind of heart of our faith is that Jesus is the Lord, the boss. And if you trust that Jesus is the Lord, then your life is on a foundation that feels potentially uncertain compared to other things. It might be more appealing to put your trust and put your faith on your mortgage, your career, your status in this world. But all these things actually ultimately will fall. And having our faith in Jesus is the only sure hope that we have. So there seems to be this direct correlation between faith and God's power. It's not an equation. It's not a perfect kind of symmetry. But as I said, the more we evidence trust in Jesus, the more we see his miraculous power move. Now, you've done the heavy lifting. That's the hard bit. I'm not saying go back to the Black Friday sales yet or at all, in fact. But we've done the hard bit. That's the thinky bit. Now, what what does it look like to actually live with this kind of trust? And I'm going to just give you the answer straight up. You see, faith, this trust, is always a response to revelation. Faith is always a response to Jesus. Faith is a response to Jesus coming close to you. I heard this story earlier in the year. And when I heard it, I just felt that maybe this was something God wanted to say to the church. And I've shared it a couple of times in different places. But actually, when I first felt God say that, I actually thought of you. I thought of KXC. And I felt that this was something particularly for for KXC. And just after Easter, my wife and I went with our daughter, our toddler Evangeline, to the Outer Hebrides. It feels like, in terms of the British Isles, at the end of the world, it's like out on the west coast of Scotland, looking out towards the Atlantic, and and there's nothing between you and kind of Greenland or the US or something. And it's pretty wild. It's like landscape I've never seen. And we were in the the bottom of the Hebrides on the Isle of uh, Harris and staying in a place called Leverborough. And one day I heard this story from someone there. They said that a few years ago, a baby whale had come into Leverborough and come into the, the inner harbour and just wouldn't come out. And they tried all kinds of things to get this whale out. They got in a boat and tried to make the sound of a, a sort of a whale mother and tried to kind of lead it out. And the whale just got more and more upset, more and more like frantic. And so they got into the boat and tried to kind of chase it and steer it out. And the whale got more and more upset, more and more frantic and started banging against the harbour wall. But then something happened that I have no idea whose idea this was. I have no idea why they thought this would work. But suddenly on the harbour wall appeared a primary school. And they started to sing. And in the churches of uh, the Hebrides, they don't sing the lovely songs we've just been singing. 
they sing the psalms in the local language, Gaelic language. And suddenly this primary school started singing the psalms over the water. And then this head came up, a baby whale, still. And who knows why it worked? Maybe it mimicked the sound of their mother. Maybe it was just such a sweet and pure sound. But the baby whale came up and was still. And then the primary school started walking along the harbour wall, singing these psalms in Gaelic. And the baby whale followed them. Right up until the edge of the harbour wall, where it would have felt the current change, the temperature shift, and then whoosh, it was gone. That's the journey from fear to faith. And it doesn't work to go up to someone who's afraid and just say, have faith. Just have faith. If that's ever happened to you, I'm sorry. Fear, when you're distressed, when you're stressed and kind of all, you know, nothing works. Coaxing and pushing doesn't help at all. You need to hear the sweet sound of singing. You need to be soothed. You need to be calmed. And that's what Jesus does. He appears in the middle of our unbelief. He appears in the middle of our doubts. And we hear the sweet sound of singing. And what? notice the journey. First, the whale had to be soothed. The whale had to be calmed. But that's not the end of the story. Then slowly, trusting the sound that the whale heard, move to the end of the harbour wall and then whoosh. It doesn't work just to bang on about faith. When you're afraid, when you're stressed, you need to be soothed. Jesus appears calmly and beautifully, sings over us the sign of his Father that says, come to freedom, come to a life of adventure, come to a life of faith. Follow the sweet sound of singing. Faith often begins in fear. And it's calm that leads to courage. Rather than just thrashing about, faith is a steady and calm trust rather than a stressed and forceful flurry. And faith is never really blind. It's always a response. It's always a gift. Jesus gives us faith. He appears. Hear the good news of the resurrection that a man lived, died, and then rose again. Hear the story and then respond. Hear the melody and start to join in. So what happens, though, when we have little faith or no faith? Well, we'll close with this beautiful story of Jesus and Peter. This is when uh, Jesus is walking on the water, and, and they're afraid. They don't know who it is. Is it a ghost? This is in Matthew 14. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you die? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You see, you can kind of read this as a rebuke from Jesus. 
But notice the closeness. Immediately, Jesus reached down out of his hand and caught him. And when they climbed into the boat together, the wind died down. You see, even Peter's moments of no faith, lack of faith, ended in intimacy. Even in in the disappointments and the failures, the proximity of Jesus never leaves us. He delights to reach down and take hold of your hand. And you end up in the boat. And I think there was laughter. (laughs) You can read this with a harsh voice if you believe in a harsh God. Or you can hear the sound of singing. As Jesus takes hold of Peter's hand, says, come into the boat. You need a community of faith. I'm done with cynicism. I'm a highly skeptical person by disposition. Skepticism is about asking good questions. It's a good tool to find the truth. It starts with the assumption of how can we make things better. Cynicism starts with the assumption that things are bad. I'm done with cynicism. The way it infects and just breeds a lack of faith. Doesn't mean switching off your head. But I want to say, you, KXC, are a community of faith. This is a church with a story of faith. Your inheritance is faith. Put aside cynicism. Build each other up in faith. Recognize that the canvas that, that God has painted on is bigger than your own faith. You never know where your prayers go. You never know the consequence of your actions. And because we're leaning our hope in the future that we can't yet see, we never know. So when you pray and you don't see the answer, don't be too caught up on that. Because the purpose of faith is intimacy. The purpose of faith is relationship with Jesus. And when you don't see the answer that you're looking for, you have to make a choice to trust. This is the eternal king of heaven. Our whole life is only stacked against the fact that Jesus will return. If you're looking for the evidence in the here and now for your faith to fully make sense, you won't find it. Because faith has been certain of what we hope for and assured of what we cannot see. So our faith is in the resurrection being completed. We do see God move in the present. And God is always painted on the canvas bigger than our own imaginations, our own lives. And if I had time, which I don't, because we've got to stop, I would tell you story after story of how God has done things I haven't expected and I couldn't have predicted. So we're going to close. And I'm going to ask you, what's your faith in? And what's your faith for? Put your faith in Jesus. People say the stupidest thing. It doesn't matter who you have faith in or what you have faith in, as long as you have faith. That's dumb, obviously. If we just put the word trust in, it doesn't matter who you trust. Like, that's a recipe for heartache. It doesn't matter what you do with your money, as long as you have faith, that's a recipe for bankruptcy. Clearly, it matters what you trust and who you trust. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. And then what does that trust then do? What do you have faith for? What do you have trust for? Hey guys, Sam here. Just wanted to jump in and let you know that Oh God Would You Move, KXC's latest single, has come out on all streaming platforms. We really believe that this is a song for the church at this moment, so we'd love to invite you to take a listen, share it around, and join us in this moment of worship.